If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, and while you're doing that, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, we, if, if we didn't know better, but we do, if we didn't know better, we might think that the Apostle Paul walked into the, one of the many coffee shops in the mid-Ohio Valley and got himself a coffee and sat down at the table and pulled out his laptop and just started writing this letter to us yesterday. Because it is just as pertinent today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was written. And it's just as relevant to us today in Williamstown, West Virginia, in Marietta, Ohio, as it was in, in, in the Holy Lands when, when, it, when those first century Christians read it. Because Paul tried to warn us. He, he, he told us that this day was coming, and he told us to be ready. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes this to, uh, to young Titus, who he left on the island of Crete. He said, for the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Church, the past two years has offered our churches and our members and our communities the opportunity to accumulate a vast array of teachers. The political, the societal, the racial, the global, the pandemic scenes have confused us, enraged us, enraged us, frustrated us, and divided nearly everybody at one point in time. Uh, this confused rage has led to physical, mental, and mo maybe most importantly, spiritual ills. No one's quite sure who's telling them the truth, even if truth exists in some of the realms that we're talking about. And just when it seems that we seem to have this grasp on what's going on around us, the information shifts. A, 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 new, a new administration takes, uh, takes office. Another act of terror is committed, and yet another wave of sickness attacks those we love and those we serve and those we live with. This is certainly a time where confusion and chaos have been given widespread liberty. My question for us this morning, church, is have we become complicit in the confusion, in the chaos? Has our anthem become my rightness and my freedom rather than the freedom offered to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ? Are we more concerned about our rightness, being on the right side of a conversation regarding all that is going on around us instead of elevating what is most important? And the most maybe glaring of the last couple of years has been the pan pandemic. Are we so vocally consumed that, that our yelling has added to the distractions? Or have our voices become so hoarse by yelling the distractions that we have barely a whisper left to, 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 to get out what is most important? Have we ruined our witness in person, in the community, and in social media because we're more concerned with rightness than, on, than about Jesus Christ? You see, church, distraction has always been one of Satan's most powerful and frequently used tools. He used it in the garden when he got Adam and Eve to, to take their focus off of him. He, he used it in the wilderness uh, to, to confuse the Israelites time and time and time again. He used it at the Tower of Babel when they were given the creation mandate to go and fill and they assembled and tried to build a tower to heaven. God, Satan is an expert at the art of distraction. 
He uses it all throughout the Old Testament. He uses it in the New Testament. Peter has the opportunity to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and to see this awesome sight. And what's the best thing that he can come up with? Uh, Should I pitch a few tents so we don't get wet tonight? He missed because he was distracted. And even, and I talked about this at Wood County Christian with my, my, with my 11th graders this past week, that even during the, the, the trial of Jesus, when offered a, a, a choice between Barabbas and Jesus, God, Satan used distraction to have that crowd choose Barabbas over the Son of God who would deliver them. And in this season... Satan has had a full arsenal of weapons at his disposal. This political scene, this racial scene, this global pandemic scene have been used by Satan to distract the church from the mission that was entrusted to her. And my question for us today is, have we, have you fallen prey to the temptations of the evil one's confusion? Now look back. Let's look back over the last 18, 20 months Have your interactions over that time been more reflected on your rightness than on the glory of God? Have your messages more promoted the right thing to do in this climate rather than the eternal salvation that's available only through Jesus Christ? If you were to take a tally of your conversations about Jesus over here and about everything else and defending your actions over here, would the score even be close? Would we have mercy ruled God? Have your conversations tended toward defending your position rather than elevating Jesus? Have we left physical and mental and spiritual, spiritual carnage alongside the road on our way to proving that we're on the right side of the chaos? I know what you're saying. I've said it to myself. I don't think it's my job necessarily to call any person or church out because how can I say to you, let me take the speck out of your eye when I have a plank in my own? But church, I truly and honestly feel that we are missing a grand opportunity to make the most of what is most important when we're not making most of Jesus. I want to encourage us today, and I want to say that this encouragement may come by the way of a challenge. That we have, If we have deviated from our mission, if we have added to the chaos, let's resolve to return to what he's called us to. If we've remained true, if we've remained focused, then let's, let's resolve to amp up our fervor for, for, t- for declaring what is most important. You see, in the same passage where, where, where Paul offers the warning about itching ears, he offer, also offers us a way back to the right path. And we see that when we look at a broader number or a larger number of scriptures there. So let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's start a little bit above where we started before at the beginning uh, of uh, this, uh, this chapter. Now, this is a chapter, and yes, the chapters and verses were put in, put in later to help us navigate and find ourselves away. So the, the, the headings aren't divine. The, the chapter and verse demarcations aren't divine, but they help us find ourselves, help us find our way around. And Paul is getting ready to start closing out the letter to young Titus, who he's left on, uh, uh, to Timothy, who he's left uh, to, to, to take care of things. And he says, I charge you uh, in, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Church, today, we need to be about, we need to be more about fulfilling our ministry. What is our ministry? What is our mission? If you've been here before, you're going to think I'm a broken record. But the mission, the ministry of the church, has not changed since it rolled off the tongue of Jesus over 2,000 years ago. Our ministry is still to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and then the promise that he will be with us to the end of the age. And Acts chapter 1, 7 and 8 gives us a little bit more shape to that. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That is our mission. That's what we need to be proclaiming. That's what needs to be trumping any other conversation that we have. But you say that there's so much more that we need to talk about. Remember what the, the Apostle Paul said. Right? He, he said, imitate me in, in as much as I imitate Christ. Uh, and, and he, let's imitate him a little more in our lives and in our ministries. Paul said these words in Philippians to a church that he dearly loved. He said, whatever I have, whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And this is, this is the, the, the kicker here. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul is so focused on the mission that he doesn't care what's going on around him. He doesn't want, care what he has or what he doesn't have. He counts it all as lost for the sake of knowing Christ and sharing in his suffering. And, and, and so that he might, it might be possible for him to attain the resurrection of the dead. He, he continues some similar language and some similar speak in the letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, this is a Tony Foreman paraphrase, when I came to you, was I using lofty words? Was I using this, this, this awesome Greek rhetoric to, to prove my point? Was I coming to you with flowery illustrations? No. He says, when I came to you, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the level, the gut level, basic level message that he had. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Guys, that is a good place to be. Think of the last two years as you have tried to rest any time in the wisdom of man. Has it left you with anything less than a headache? Paul's saying that might rest in the power of God. Paul said nothing but the bloody crucifixion, the beautiful display of ultimate love of Christ Jesus should be our ongoing proclamation. It alone saves and heals and restores. So church, what if we resolved, we decided to simply magnify Christ and rest in the arms of Jesus come what may? But you say, don't we need to focus on social justice or protecting our reputation and our rightness or becoming more in tune with culture around us so that we can reach more? Well, to those, I would say, church, if we were to elevate Christ and strive with all of our energy, all of our focus, and all of our passion to imitate him, we will have justice that far outweighs any measure of social justice that this world can offer because social justice is temporary at best. True justice from Jesus Christ, gospel-driven justice, church, lasts for eternity. And I'd say that if we love and love as Christ loved and elevate him, that our reputation would be exactly what it needs to be. And we can do that without ever winning a debate or being on the right side of an, of an argument. And if we elevate Christ and proclaim his message and love as he loved, then the culture will have no option but to see the difference provided by Jesus Christ. And we see over and over in the New Testament that this is, this is what happens. He, he, the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 13 says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you win the debate against your neighbor. If you are more convincing in your argument than the guy on the other side of the aisle. No, church. He says, if you have love for one another. Our goal as a church is not to be on the right side of the bait. It's not to prove our rightness. Our goal is to obediently elevate Christ in our word, in our deed, which are all dictated by our love. It's to elevate Jesus and cling to his promises. Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, 32, that we just read at the beginning of service, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's not my job to do the drawing. It's not my job to do the wooing. It's not my job to do the convincing. My job, our job, is to elevate Jesus for the world to see. Are we elevating Jesus above the chaos and the confusion? You see, if we boil it all down, church, it really comes down to a matter of trust. Do we, do we trust God to do what he says he's going to do? Do we trust that God is in control of our lives and our community and his world in 2021? Do we, trust that God, do we trust God when he says, when my word goes out, it won't come back void? Do we trust Jesus 
and that he is the power of salvation to all those who believe in him? Do we trust that the Holy Spirit can change and sanctify the world just like it changed and is changing and is sanctifying us? And before we answer a resounding yes, let's look at our practices. Are we more concerned with, you know, with anything other than obediently making much of Jesus? Because when we allow anything other than Jesus to become our main message, we're saying to the world that our rightness is our priority over you and where you spend eternity. And if we're content to rest in, in our salvation while the people around us are destined to hell, then we do not understand the broadness and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have we allowed the rhythm of the world to infiltrate the message of the church? Have we taken our eyes off of what is most important? They will know we are Christians, not by our power, not by our rightness, not by our position, not by our loudness. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And this love that we most obediently display is that of Jesus Christ, who, as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father." What is our role? Our God is to elevate Jesus by loving as Jesus loved, to trust that God will keep his word. He always has. He always will. Church, I love you, and I pray for you daily. And I pray that we are far more concerned about Christ being elevated than we are whether or not we should wear a mask, whether or not we should be vaccinated, whether or not we should be closing down schools, whether or not we should be doing this or that, 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 our, that, our, that our opinion, that our belief on that is fueled by the attitude and the love of Jesus Christ and that our energy is spent much more uh, freely on elevating him and trusting in him than getting consumed in the confusion and the chaos around us. I would like for you to go ahead and to grab your communion element. Don't open it yet unless you've already started. I just want you to hold it. I want you to grasp it. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to feast together on the thing that sh should unite us, not just here, but for all eternity.